Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Why have I been forsaken? Why is God so far from me? Why are my prayers not being heard? So, but this is a cry of suffering that's different from the cries of suffering in the Bible because the cries of suffering in the Bible are like Psalm 38.3, Psalm 38.3, where David, speaking of himself, says, there's no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin, because of my sin. Neither is there any rest in my bone because of our, my sin. Very important four words, because of my sin. This is typically the cry from suffering. Typically the cry from suffering always has these four words, because of my sin. How many calamities have we had in our life or do we have in our lives that, 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 that is because of our sin? Shouldn't say always, but most typically. And this is an example here. It's a Psalm 38.3. Neither is there any rest in my bones. Because of my sin, the Lord spoke of his bones. He said, all my bones were out of joint. In verse 14, and the Lord said that, but, but, but the Lord did not say, all, my, bone, all, my, all my, my bones are out of joint because of my sin. Because he didn't have any sin. And that's the reason why he cries, why? And, and if, if I had no sin, then Why? The Lord cries out, why? That's a great question. Why would a person who's never done one little sin suffer like that? Why? And the answer comes. The answer comes from a Hebrew word, a common Hebrew word that's used over 500 times in the Bible. And and most notably, this word is used when Abraham's knife was about to be plunged into Isaac, right into Isaac's chest. And God stopped Abraham in, Saul, in, in, in Genesis 22, Genesis 22, 12. And Genesis 22, 12, it's, it, he said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Abraham sees the ram, he takes Isaac off the altar, and, he, and, 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 and instead of plunging the knife into Isaac's chest, the ram goes on the altar and he plunges the knife into the ram. And just as the ram took Isaac's place under the knife, so the Lord Jesus has taken the sinner's place under the knife, and the Lord Jesus is in the stead of sacrifice. And what was done here is all tied up in this word, in the stead of. 
A very common word, takat, 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 which is translated in the stead of. But it means under. It means under. So if you looked at the knife in Abraham's hand, then the meaning of takat or under becomes clear. Isaac was takat or under Abraham's knife. It was about to be plunged into him. And that is symbolic of Isaac being under the judgment of God for his sins. That's symbolic of you. That's symbolic of me being under the judgment of God for our sins. And the knife of God is raised over man. It's ready to be plunged in. But instead, but instead, it's going to be plunged into man because of man's sin. But then the ram is seen. And so Abraham lifts Isaac out from Tachat, out from under his knife, and puts the ram, Tachat, under Abraham's knife. And this is the answer in verse 1 to the question, why? Why? Because of Tachat. Tachat is the answer to why. Why? Tachat. Why was the Lord put to the suffering? Because like Isaac, we were lifted from from, from, from being in the position of chahat under the knife, under the judgment knife, like the ram, and the ram was put on there and, and under the judgment knife, and the Lord took our place tachat under the judgment of God. That's the answer to the question of verse one, why? For no sins of his own, but for our sins, God the Father took us off the altar and put the Lord Jesus on the altar in our place. And that's the answer to the question. Why? Because of a word used in the Bible called imputed. Imputed. Now, we're familiar with imputed when we read Romans 4.20, Romans 4.20, which says about Abraham, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what God had promised, God was able to perform Therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God, and God imputed to Abraham righteousness. That's true for every believer. When he believes God, he confesses his sin, he turns from his sin, he receives the Lord Jesus as his Savior, God imputes to him the righteousness of Christ. And we love to think about that, how God imputes to us the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. God imputes to us the righteousness of the Lord Jesus, but have you ever thought of what was imputed to the Lord Jesus? What was imputed to the Lord Jesus was our guilt, our guilt, our shame, our sin. His righteousness imputed to us, our guilt imputed to him. And when our guilt was imputed to him, in verse one, he cries out, why? For no sins of his own, but for his own sins. He was forsaken by God. And, and why did God impute our guilt and sins on the Lord Jesus? Because of Romans 8.31. Romans 8.31. God before us. Who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him us for, up for us all. So our sins, our guilt, that's imputed on, on God the Son because God is for us. Kind of works like this. God the Father could not spare his son, and save the sinner. Couldn't. If God the Father had spared the son, then God could not save the sinner. So God was faced with this grave decision. This was a real tension for God the Father. What's he going to do? Spare his son 
and not save the sinner or spare not his son and save the sinner. One's got to die. One must die. One or the other must die. And God chose this option to spare not his son so that he could save us sinners. This is just a little personal. It's a little personal because we're the sinner. We're the sinner that's involved in God's decision. So so let's just make that really clear that God the Father was faced with the decision, spare his son and let you and I die in hell, be cast into hell, or or, or save you and I and, 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 and let God the Son die. And can't you just see God the Father? He's laboring, he's agonizing over this decision. Should I spare my son and let the sinner die? Or, or should I save the sinner and let my son die? And when God chose this option for his son to die and the sinner, us, to be saved, there was such a cry from heaven that rang out, that rang out. John 3, 16, for God so loved, he made the decision, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. And when that came time, it came time for God to actually follow through and spare not, spare not then his son cries out in verse 1, why, why? Why did God forsake his son on the cross so that he might not forsake us? Why did God forsake his son on the cross? It was so that Jesus of Nazareth would be totally alone. Have you ever thought about that? When he cried out, why hast thou forsaken me? Why did God forsake him? So that Jesus would be totally alone without the help of God. Why are, you're, you're, why are we so far from helping me? He was alone without the help of God. And he goes into battle with Satan alone, without the help of God. And when the Lord cries out in, in verse 1 here, why art thou so far from helping me? It shows us he did not have the help of God when he went into battle against Satan. This was so different from what you and I know in, in life. It's so different from what he knew. In his life, what we said in John 8, 29, he says, the Father hath not left me alone. Before this point, he could say, the Father hath not left me alone from John 8, 29. But now he is alone. He is forsaken by God. He's without the help of God. He's all alone. And now all alone, Jesus of Nazareth, without the help of God, fights Satan, and he beats Satan, and he gets the victory over Satan all alone, all by himself. That's the victory of Jesus of Nazareth all alone without the help of God. He cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me that we might know that he was alone, forsaken of God? He says, why art thou so far from helping me that we might know he didn't have the help of God? He was our David all alone out there in the battlefield against Goliath, Satan, the Satan Goliath. This was his own personal victory over Satan. And when we celebrate communion, we are celebrating his own personal victory over Satan, just as those in heaven celebrate his own personal victory over Satan when they repeat the words of, of Hebrews 2.14, Hebrews 2.14, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of the death, that is the devil. We, you know how we could add something to that? Through death he might alone destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. And those in heaven, they're singing a song about this, 
about the results of this personal victory over Satan when they sing in Revelation 20.10, Revelation 20.10, they say the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are. And in Revelation 5.9, Revelation 5.9, that sung a new song saying, thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And you know what? They also could add their one word there. Thou hast was slain and alone hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. When on that day, when that day of the cross, when Jesus of Nazareth got the victory over Satan on Calvary, the clock was turned back. The clock was turned back to that one day in the Garden of Eden when Jesus did what Adam could have done and should have done. When Adam, with the help of God, not alone, but with the help of God, Jesus did not have the help of God. He was forsaken by God. And the Lord Jesus made himself just like Adam, just like man. Only at the cross, the Lord Jesus actually was more vulnerable, more vulnerable than Adam was because Adam had the help of God to resist the devil. But when the Jesus cries out, my God, my God, what, that why hast thou forsaken me? That shows us how much more vulnerable he was than Adam because he didn't have the help of God. And in that vulnerable state that we will never be in, the Lord Jesus went in alone to fight Satan and he won. And that's the wonderful thing. That's why I say sometimes he put the fruit back. He put the fruit back because he stood alone as a man completely as a man, even more vulnerable than any man ever was because he was forsaken by God. He didn't have the help of God. And in that state of total vulnerability, alone without the help of God, he resists the devil, he fights the devil, he does not sin, and that's why we admire him. That's why we worship the Lord for his personal victory over Satan. And, and, and not only us, we, we admire him, not, not only the saints here, but but, but, but the saints in heaven also, and the, and the angels also admire him for them. And, and the Father also rem- admires him for them. And the Father cries out in Matthew 3.17, Matthew 3.17, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You know what that was God saying? That's my boy. That's my son right there. Look at him getting the personal victory over Satan all alone. And what's so important to see was when he cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Is that he was expressing a a shock and a dismay, but he never complained against God. He never said, God, you're wrong to forsake me. He never blamed God. He never, he, he never said, God, it's not right what you're doing. You're not, it's unjust. See, that would have been to, to accuse God. He never did that. So, so, so let's summarize all that we've learned from his cry. His cry, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? First, from that cry of my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In verse one, we learn that there was no basis for accusing him of any sin. There was no charge of any personal sin. So he cries out why. Second, from his cry of my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In verse one, we learn that the only reason that he suffered on the cross was because of our guilt, our shame. That was imputed on him. It was imputed on him. You know, it was like, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the, and the, and the answer comes back, because you're bearing the sins of the world. And, and third from his cry of, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In verse one, we learn his death 
was a ransom for our redemption, an atonement. And fourth, from his cry of, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know what we learn? We see how really evil sin really is, how much God hates sin. I mean, that causes us to learn that no one should ever lessen, ever diminish the evil of sin. You know, when I, uh, last Friday, my Uber driver and, and I, we were speaking about, about sin, and, and we were speaking about the sin of lusting after other women, and he said, oh, that's a little sin. So he said, that's just a little sin. And I told him, I said, what you call a little sin, God calls a big sin. Yeah? And when the Lord cries out in verse 1, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We learn about how evil sin really is. And fifth, when he cried out, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We learn how great is that valley How great is that separation between God and man? You go over to that one room there in the museum, and you see the depiction there, the illustration of man in his sinful state on one side of the valley and God on the other. That's a great valley. It's a valley that blocks all prayers to God. It's a terrible separation from all help. And six from his cry of, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In verse one, we see the dilemma that God the Father was faced with by knowing that someone has to die. One must die. Either it's going to be us who are going to be cast into hell for eternity, or it's going to be, and so his son would be spared, or it's going to be him that will die for our sins and will be spared. And he chose, he chose the second one. So when the Lord Jesus cries out, why? It shows us amazing love. Amazing love for God's choice. It shows us the amazing love of 1 John 4.10. 1 John 4.10, hearing is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the offering that covers, the propitiation for our sins. It also teaches us how great is the sacrifice. It shows us how great is the judgment and the wrath on a person who refuses and says to God, no, thank you, no, I don't want that. I'm I'm fine, I don't need religion. It shows you that because it says in Hebrews 2.3, Hebrews 2.3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord. How should we escape? How should we, where's the escape for a person who just says, it's not for me, it's not my cup of tea. Hebrews 10, 29, Hebrews 10, 29 says, of how much sore punishment, how much sore punishment suppose ye shall be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the blood of the, of the son of God, counted the blood of a, the covenant wherewith he is sanctified, an unholy thing. Seventh, From his cry of, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We learn how alone he was. How alone he was, without even the help of God. When he went in and he fought and he conquered the devil, he was all alone. Why are you so far from helping me? So that the victory will be totally yours. And eighth, from his cry of, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We learn that he was forsaken so that we'll never be forsaken. Like the hymn says, did ever saint find the, this friend forsake him? No, not one. No, not one. Or sinner find that he would not take him? No, not one. No, not one. Jesus knows of all our troubles. He will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. Why? Why art thou so far from the words of my roaring? So that the redeemed will never be, have their, their prayers unanswered. Now, Now, John has recorded for us this very special detail about his tongue cleaving to his jaw. 
And John writes about this in John 19:28 when it says after this Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished that the scripture might be fulfilled saith I thirst. John is the only gospel writer that tells us that the Lord said I thirst. And then John says that the scripture might be fulfilled. But where is that scripture that might be fulfilled? I thirst. The scripture that John is referring to is in verse 15. My tongue cleaves to my jaw. John saw that the statement of my my thirst is a fulfillment of verse 15. Okay, so that's our introduction to today's message. (laughs) Now we're going to come to the verse which is in his heart cry from the cross, which is verse 16. Verse 16. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. So he turns to his enemies and he sees what they have done to him. This is like being in the Garden of Gethsemane when the Lord was surrounded on every side by his enemies in Matthew 26, 47. Matthew 26, 47. While he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. So here's a cry, oh no, Many bulls have compassed me. And here's also an expression of the great perseverance of the Lord. He's got this sad cry for help. And we especially see just how far he was pushed. And there's this group of animals, you know, they're on the hunt. They're forming a, you know how animals do. They, they, They form a circle around their prey. And then they slowly close in that circle for the final kill. And we, and we see the prey here. It's a, it's a gazelle, it's a deer, and it's surrounded by the hyena dogs. And we see the deer desperately panting. And only here, the picture is not of a deer, it's of the Lord. And here's a picture of the surrounded deer, it's panting. And there are two reasons in the Bible given for this panting, which is Psalm 38.10, Psalm 38.10, where it says, my heart panteth, my strength faileth me. As for the light of mine eyes, it's also gone from me. So this is a description of the Lord. He's panting because his strength is dried up like a potsherd. He is exhausted with the fight. And the second reason for panting is given to us in in Isaiah 21.4. Isaiah 21.4. My heart panted. Fearfulness affrighted me. Isaiah 21.4. This is a description of the Lord as his heart is panting because of fear. It's frightening as he sees these bulls, these the, 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 the compassing him all around. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for, for letting us see what, what, what you always knew, the beauty of your son. Lord, we thank you that we've never seen him in such beauty as he is fighting all alone for our sins to conquer Satan all alone on the cross. Hallelujah, what a Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. 
Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Israel Restoration Ministries is excited to announce a limited time offer for our Friendship with God study Bible and hymnal. This package includes a large printed genuine lambskin leather Bible featuring over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references, maps, timelines, and frequently asked questions. In addition, you'll also receive our Friendship with God hymnal. This hymnal, the first of its kind, contains over 1,000 hymns and melodies, making it the largest collection ever printed. Included with your purchase, you'll also receive a complimentary engraving of your name on either book. For more information, Visit us at friendshipwithgod.org or give us a call at 619-599-1104. That's 619-599-1104.